At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Britflix.com podcast. I've got with me Nina Pope, one of two directors on documentary Jaywick Escapes. Hi, Hello. Nina. Hello. Um, do you want to tell us, tell the listener a little bit about what Jaywick Escapes is, and then we'll talk more generally? Yeah, sure. It's um, a feature documentary set in the town of Jaywick, which is, um, for those who don't know, a sort of stone's throw in a way from London. It's next to Clacton on the coast. Um, and you either find that people know it instantly and are sort of in love with the place or they've never heard of it. But it has a sort of strange um, profile as a town, I would say. I, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the latter group then. I've never heard of it. I'd never heard of it until I watched the documentary. <laughs> I, knew Cla- I know Clacton, obviously, that's its, I guess that's kind of his big brother, I suppose, is it? It is. And you, I mean, literally, you just walk along the beach and you would arrive in Jaywick. Um, it's sort of sandwiched between other places somehow. Um, and uh, yeah, it feels very sort of cut off in a way, I think. No, and I think, I think that's a very good way to sort of think about the documentary and I think you, that that's something I got from watching it was I got the sense that this could be in England but it could be somewhere else that I don't know despite yeah. the fact people kept talking about London um I didn't feel like I was always in England or I was or I don't live in England and that's somewhere different if you get what I mean yeah I mean I think it has it does have a lot in common with other seaside towns but it also does have quite a unique atmosphere and I mean part of it is due to its history it was built as a plot land development and um, at the time in the sort of 30s there were several of these developments built and they were kind of like um, holiday homes for the working class basically Mm. Um, but the difference was in Jaywick that people moved into these plot land houses as they're called and you know some of them the infrastructure etc wasn't really designed for people to live in them long term it was more designed for people to go there and enjoy their holidays and somehow something in that shift from it being a a sort of very happy holiday place to a town somewhere it seems to have gone a little bit awry Um, but you know a lot of people really love living there and will tell you very in in no uncertain terms how wonderful they think the place is and that's partly why we wanted to make the film to sort of unpick how 
somewhere could be deemed the poorest place in Britain and by many outside of it as a terrible place, but by many who live there as this very welcoming, very warm place that they wanted to be. Well, well, well let's talk about that then, Nina. How, how, how do you go about starting a documentary like this one? Well, we had we had quite an unusual start to the to the film because Karen and I, the we're the two directors. We also work as artists, okay. And we'd been invited to Jaywick to do a project, actually about the green spaces there, looking at the green spaces and thinking about the future of the place. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a year there working on that project, and we had an exhibition there. And in a way, it was a really good in to working there because talking to people about their gardens is a fantastically sort of positive way to approach them, to chat about the place. Of course. But by the end of the project, we really wanted to go back and make something where we went deeper into following you know, particular individuals over a much longer period and really trying to understand some of the different types of people who, who live in the, in the town. So yeah, it was a, maybe a slightly odd start to a film, but in a way a good start because we were able to spend a long time there before we even started looking to make the film and to, to find the characters that we would eventually follow. I, I mean, I think that's the interesting way that, um, that many sort of documentaries end up getting made, isn't it? That something something else begins, something spotted, and that sparks a, a whole new idea. And I guess if there was something more to the place than what you'd gone to do in the first place, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's the best research you could have done, isn't it? If somebody said, do me, a, do me a seaside town in England documentary, you'd have scratched your head for a bit, wouldn't you, I suppose? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think anywhere you go as well, there's a level of people who it's easy to meet, who everyone knows in the town, the, sort of, um, the, ma- the person who runs the shop, the person who lives in the quirkiest house, the person who always you know, opens the fate, etc. Mm. But it takes quite a long time to move... You know, it's great to know those people, but it's also good to find people who it's not so easy to make contact with. So, so in that sense, then, who who amongst your kind of, for want of a better expression, main cast, because it does focus on a on a sort of core of about half a dozen people. Yeah, uh, were the kind of easy to meets, and who were the who were the sort of you had to really work on trust and stuff to get them involved with the film. I mean, I think all of the main characters. It took quite a while to work with. There's um, a young lad, Mac, um, in the film, and he's he's the sort of youngest person that we follow. And actually, we bumped on t- into him when he was doing his paper round, and he was very keen to be involved right from the start. And we were really sure as soon as we met him that we wanted to follow him. Mm. But the other characters, it took time to build up trust. I mean, John, the... Um, He's half of the couple that we follow. He mm. sort of came up to us when we were filming. Um, really? And was very kind of, you know, what are you doing sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he found us in a way. But Nick, the main character, we we spotted having a great big fry up in the cafe in Jaywick and we thought, aha, <laughs> you look really interesting. And then we realised he'd just arrived in the town and, you know, he'd, clearly come there to sort of change some things about his life and he was going to start a business and you know we we thought that his story was going to be a very positive one about why people move there and turn their life around and that's why we began to follow him yeah as you'll know from the film it things didn't work out that way for him across the the time that we were filming there yeah it's um i've been involved with um writing something fictional about an east of england seaside town and in that research one of the things that, that came up from that and is evident in the documentary is that 
these places are just so off the political map. It's it's insane. I mean, you don't imagine there's a single MP represents these areas. He's genuinely trying to do any good. You do you do occasionally see an MP in Jaywick at the really? summer fair, in fact, that you see in the film. Um, but, I mean, over the duration of working there, which must have been probably three or four years in total, okay. the kind of overall policy for Jaywick changed, I don't know how many times, but, you know, when we very first started, the sort of way forward for Jaywick seemed to be quite clear, and then it had completely changed by the end. So it does seem to be this place that nobody quite knows what to do about. I was, I was just thinking more about, you know, the, 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 the sort of general emphasis that the, the city of London's going to save Britain. And then you think, well, that's going to have no impact on these places whatsoever. Yeah, no, it, it does literally feel very cut off um, in, in that sense. And I think um, in the scene where you see John being arrested, yeah. you sort of, you almost... Uh, you get the feeling, I think, that this is just such a regular occurrence that everyone's sort of bored with it, even the police. <laughs> no, no, totally. It looked, it, it, it almost looked like it could be staged. There was, there yes. was that, there was that little kind of tension going on about what was actually happening. Yeah, no, and it, I can assure you, it wasn't staged. No, no, no. I, 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 it was very, I understand. Um, it was a very quite a surreal experience to film it because it went on for about two hours. I think I changed the camera lens five times during really? the arrest. <laughs> um, Dear me. Um, and it seemed like in a moment where John was sort of, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was interesting that he obviously didn't mind being filmed in that situation, and yeah, the police were obviously trying to work out what exactly was going on there. <laughs> now, you, you just said that it took it took three years to get all the filming for this. I think we filmed over two years, but probably from you know the beginning of the research to finishing the film, it was probably about three years. And with the documentary, I mean, friends of mine had completed the documentary after following Chris Farlow for three or four years. Mm. And the question I always ask them, and it's it's one that always interests me about documentary filmmakers, is, is sort of when do you know you're finished? <laughs> um, well, I don't want to give away the storyline of the film, but I, I think um, with what you discover about the main character at the end, that for us felt like... Um, that it was the it was the time to finish up filming there, and actually a lot of the main characters did leave Jaywick quite soon after we'd finished filming. So it seemed like we followed a period in their lives where they went through a great deal of change and and, and sort of moved on from there. But in terms of the film, it seemed like the right place to to leave them where we did. Um, and what was interesting, I mean, when you say people leaving, it was interesting just that idea that there was a semblance of temporary about it because you had this idea that people would escape London, certainly one of the younger characters were escaping London for various reasons, but then come the winter, these, these, these um, I mean, for, for, for you called them what, plot developments, did you it was say? a plotland development. Plotland developments. I mean, in it, it kind of, that makes it sound much more positive if, if you go along the American road, which is the kind of trailer park type of living, isn't it? It's that kind, mm -hmm. of, that kind of temporary accommodation, which during a British winter is not exactly the, the warmest place to be living. And, and it was interesting to see people would go back to the city who could mm -hmm. during the colder months. Um, but there is also, I, I mean, I hope you get the sense from the film that there's a lot of older people living there who do live there all year round and are actually very happy to be there. You know, you see them 
playing bingo, going to line dancing. They actually have a really active social life. They're kind of a sort of club in their own world somehow. And they are all people who went there as children, loved it as a holiday destination. And for them, it represents something very, very different to the group of younger people that we follow. And that was one of the main things we came aware of, this kind of drift, in a way, between these two different communities, both cohabiting the same space, but not really with many connections between them. I guess, yeah, because you, 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 there, the, there is a good contrast between the two, but you, you, it's, it's hard as a viewer, from my point of view, not to feel the kind of desperation of the, the, the sort of younger characters versus, I mean... If you've lived, if you've lived in a city, and, and this was your escape as a, as a sort of more more older stoic generations, and now you're retired, living living in a place like that must be must be quite relaxing. You got the sense that they were very very separate mm. from from each other. You know that they that they didn't coexist as it were. They kind of existed quite separately, even though I imagine Jaywick's not the most not the biggest place in the world. No, it's tiny and. and... You know, the sort of physical architecture is so strange. The houses are really close together. You know, they're right by the beach, but actually what they look at is this huge sea wall because of the flooding. Mm. And uh, I think you see right at the beginning <coughs> two lads running along the seafront um, and basically you're kind of, it's like a huge concrete shelf in effect. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see out of the houses to the sea. This is the sort of sad thing. They've got this beautiful beach there, but actually because of the flooding it's quite inaccessible. You have to go over the seawall to um, reach it. So e even the sort of physical nature of the place somehow doesn't quite work. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I mean, I guess that's one of the connect questions that the film hopefully asks is, is how much are people shaped by where they live and how much do they shape it? Um, and what's the sort of relationship between those two things? I mean, do you, do you think someone like, John is having any influence on his built environment, or is I feel like he was like a pinball just going from post to post. You know? <laughs> um, he also kept moving house while we were there, really, which could be very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess that on a more positive note, you, you're—I mean, not positive in terms of his backstory, as it were—but the the youngest member of the sort of main cast who you kept mm -hmm. returning to. He was he was quite—I mean, given given his story, he was quite a resilient character, wasn't he? In in yeah, and sense. I think he sort of re he does represent in a way what can be good about Jaywick. So you know he um, yeah he has a resilience to him which is quite amazing. He's got definitely a kind of creativity about him, and it hopefully you sort of wonder where he's going to go next or what's going to happen to him through through seeing him in the film. So you d you don't hear him say a great deal, but you you see him kind of moving around the town, and you know these sort of key facts about his background um he started a band now actually has he really <laughs> yeah i i've got high hopes for him going on to great things <laughs> i struggled to see him stay in there for the rest of his life to be honest with yeah. you that was uh, certainly certainly he sounded like he was growing up fast and, yeah uh, yeah no it's an interesting moment to be filming him because he's very much on the cusp of becoming an adult i think well and and just comparing him to to john who, who yeah. clearly failed at being an adult in, in many senses, uh, I mean the, the the scene you shoot in the arcade mm. is it's like it's like they've got no responsibility in the world, mm. and yet we've just been talking about various various things that that reflect responsibility, and I found that quite amazing. That was quite poignant the way you did that. I don't know if that was in the edit or whether that was quite linear in terms of 
the way it was all shot? Um, do you know, I can't remember if those, uh, I mean, it was deliberate in the edit to, to, um, put the scenes where we did. Um, yeah. I think it could have been on the same day, actually. Um, it's, it's funny, actually, once you start to edit a film, you, in a way you stop remembering the exact order things really happened. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The film becomes the reality. <laughs> well, I can't. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much. How much of interest just just to the listener, just to give a sense of proportion. How much footage did you have to, you know, to um, fight with, as it were? I can't remember exactly, but it was a lot. I mean, it's probably <laughs> like sixty hours, something like that. Gee whiz. Um, so yeah, yeah a lot to squash down. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I do think it's a very condensed film though for a long time we had a longer version of it and actually it felt better at this very kind of boiled down uh hopefully it's like being in a bubble a quite an intense bubble for the time that you're watching it yeah i mean it's 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 it it, it has those two things which is the um which the daily mail loves and the daily mail hates <laughs> for me you know it's kind of you've got you got the you got the old folks sort of mucking in community you know doing their bit everyone Everyone's sharing their moments and stuff, and then you've got these these sort of fraught individuals who who just f lurch from one desperate situation to another without learning any lessons, almost like sitcom characters. I think um, the difference, hopefully, is though that you kind of, by the end of the film, you start to understand why they're in that situation, mm. and that in their own way, certainly someone like Sarah is trying to to kind of escape that. Situation. Mm. Um, is that the da is that the dark-haired woman? The she's the main female character in the film. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I think I think often what you don't see on television is the is people talking about how why they've come to that point and mm. why they've ended up in that situation and hopefully that's what the film tries to address a little bit. Yeah, I mean you got I mean the, certainly the the um, is is it her that that's, that's come that's left London from sort of a drug past and stuff and yeah I mean that that's fairly that's fairly traumatic isn't it to to to, to of a life to be in yet like you say she, she she as a character seemed to be more resilient that's why I'd say the contrast I would say the contrast between her and say John is quite amazing it's almost like she would slap it she could slap him up his head and he still wouldn't know what day it was whereas she seemed to be facing up to the realities the best she could mm. um but I, I wondered is 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 it is it sympathy or understanding? Do you think that your film was was going for? I think that's up to the viewer, really. Okay. Um, I think ev everyone will have their own feelings towards the towards the characters. Mm. Um, what was the name of the guy? The guy who um, started the sort of secondhand furniture shop, the main one of the, the Nick. older guy, Nick. Yeah. Um, he he. His was his. I mean, you you you're told the way you tell his story, and obviously, like, won't spoil the the ending of, as it were, for for potential viewers. But but the way that you tell his story, and again, that, that might be the edit, or that might be the way that he revealed it to 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 you, was quite remarkable because obviously you get at first this sort of really buoyant character, and I think, like you say, he he just moved there, hadn't he, with with all the hopes of the world. Yeah, that's right. Out, sprouting out of him, and then obviously reality bites, and through through those moments, he begins to reveal more about him that makes him 
less ideal for success, is it? Mm. You know, without and that's not me condemning him. Just you know, it's just looking at looking at, at the way we see him in the film. And yeah, no, and I, that was exactly the way that we encountered him as a person. Yeah. Um, and I think by the end, you feel so frustrated because you really like him, mm. <laughs> and you want you want him not to muck up, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's impossible not to like him. It's, it's, um, he's a very, very sort of. Um, He's got a very magnetic personality, but he he clearly has a self-destruct button, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, no, he's a he's a fantastic character. You can see why when we saw him eating his fry up, we thought, aha. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it can put. I mean, just just to give the the, the, the listener a sense of it, it really genuine from where you first meet him in the film, and where so even by halfway in mm. the film, you're already thinking, how did we get? Here? How did he get here? Given <laughs> the supposed start we had with him. Yeah, um, and obviously in the film it's quite smooth, but in reality when we were filming we'd be going down, you know, once every two or three weeks and sometimes the sort of jumps of what had happened to him would seem, uh, yeah, quite sort of breathtaking in a way. And, I mean, how, how as filmmakers do you keep a kind of, I don't know, a pragmatic separation from what you're learning about these people who are obviously humans still, you know, and the want to make a documentary? Um, I think it can be hard. You know, you obviously, you don't really ever choose people who you don't like in some way as mm. your characters. You know, I think it would be very hard to spend a year with someone who you really disliked. So mm. you, you, do, um, you do form quite an intense relationship with people over the duration of making the film. But I think often when people agree to be in a film... It, there's something in them that's also going to get something out of the process, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think if we'd encountered Nick at a different time in his life, he definitely wouldn't have agreed to be filmed. I think, I think he probably recognised something about the option to talk about himself and to open up to us, which it, it's like a sort of mutual agreement in a way that you enter into when you start filming. Mm. Um, and that's maybe why it took him quite a long time to decide to, to, to run with it. I guess it's that kind of perverse logic of he, he's new to that town and quite clearly doesn't have that many people to talk to and you are, you're like Switzerland, aren't you, <laughs> in, in many <laughs> yeah. senses. And if he's, it, it, given his emotional turmoil that, that reveals itself, it's sort of, it, you, were, you were just the perfect sort of sounding post for him in some senses. Mm. And he's, I mean, it's not, not giving anything away to say that he's quite recently bereaved when he moves to the town. Yeah. And I think, you know, he wanted to, to talk about that. Mm. Um, but yes, you know, with all the characters, you do feel like you go on a funny kind of journey with them. Um, and, it, and it's different in every case, you know. So the DVD for this is out now. It's out now, yes. It's out now. Available on the somewhere shop. Sorry, say that again? Available from the somewhere shop. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, what other projects have you got in the pipeline that you can talk about? We're actually um, in um, post-production of our fourth film at the moment. Okay. Um, and it's, um, it's actually a very, very personal story. It's about Karen's own family. All right. And it is also a ripping yarn. <laughs> um, okay. It's um it, it it's yeah it's quite an amazing project and we're actually um fundraising for it on Indiegogo at the okay. moment. Um, right. The film's called The Closer We Get. 
So yeah, have a look at it. Right. Okay. Well, no. Well, if you you send us the link, I'll put that up with the podcast, um, right. um, and we can help get behind that for you. Fantastic. Well, look. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the Britflix.com podcast. No, you're welcome. It's nice well, to talk about Jaywick. No, no, it's, it's a, like I said, it's 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 a totally it's, uh, enjoyable is the wrong word, but it's it's an intriguing look into a very specific aspect of British life and one that feels very foreign to me living in London, mm. but one that's recognisable as someone that's been to a seaside town and you know on on the Essex coast. It's kind of well, I always recommend a visit there. <laughs> well, I shall, tr- I shall try one day. <laughs> All right, well, look, well, thank you very much. Brilliant, thanks, Stuart. It's the At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.